Welcome to the Reading for Success podcast, a production of Success League Radio. This podcast focuses on customer success and leadership books, provides an overview of each, and gives you an honest assessment of whether or not it's worth your time. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, I'm Kristen Hayer. And I'm Russell Bourne, and we're the co-hosts of Reading for Success. We also both work for the Success League, a boutique customer success consulting and training firm based in San Francisco. Today, we're reviewing the book, Remote Work Revolution, written by Sadal Neely. Neely is a professor at Harvard Business School, and this is her second book covering a topic related to a dispersed workforce. She previously wrote The Language of Global Success, where she examined how an English language mandate transformed the social workings of a multinational Japanese headquartered company. So let's dive in. Russell, can you give us an overview of the book? Sure. This book has eight chapters, and I found it to be very modular. There wasn't an overall arc. Um, That's not a criticism. I think that's totally fine. And so each chapter hit a different point that you could consider in a remote work environment, no matter how dispersed it is. So at a high level, the chapters are how to launch and relaunch your team plan, trust, productivity, digital tooling, agile method applied remotely, cultural differences, leadership, and global crises. And Kristen, I'd love to hear what the highlights were for you. So before my highlights, just a tactical note. I started out trying to listen to this book on Audible, and I ended up reading the second half in the physical book. So why? This book is super hard to focus on when you're just listening. Now, I'm a visual person, so that might just be me but I tend to like the visual better and I found myself drifting off while I was listening to this book on my daily walk. Sidal wasn't the narrator and I kind of wish that she had been. I didn't get a lot of passion about the topic from the audiobook. But that said, there was a lot I liked about this book. I love the chapter called, How Should I Use Digital Tools in Remote Work? I completely resonated with her section on tech exhaustion. I have talked to several CS leaders and CSMs since reading that section, and everyone universally relates to the idea that we don't have enough buffer time between video calls. We are missing that five-minute breather that we used to get when we were walking from conference room to conference room. Even those five minutes feel like a gift now when we're just jumping from call to call. I really like the chart on page 71 of the hardcover that covers the various aspects of different types of technology. There's a chart on digital tools there. I don't know, Russell, I mean, do you think that you had any feedback on that particular chapter? I do. So we might be talking about the same chart, but there's a a chart that just lists out all the different communication methods. Yeah, I think uh, we're talking about the same chart. yeah, Yeah, I loved that chart. There's this assumption that face to face is the best way to communicate with somebody. And generally that's true, but it depends what you want out of the communication. And so the other axis of the chart has things like delivery speed, the potential that you have to fine tune the message, the message permanence, and it shows the advantages of some other communication methods, you know, like a video call or an email or a shared document. And one of the points that came up was that it's actually okay or even advantageous to mix the channels, right? It's okay to be redundant because that caters, I think, to different 
learning and retention styles and helps the the message resonate better. Well, I mean, it kind of is like the meta point of what I just said, which is that for me personally, I didn't really resonate with the audio version of this book, but the visual version of it is pretty great. So, you know, if you take that and you think about how that relates to your customers, you know, there's going to be customers who love listening and there's going to be customers who love seeing and there's going to be customers who you know, want to have a meeting with you so they can dial things in and all of that is okay. Yeah, that's right. I also really like the chapter called How Can My Global Team Succeed Across Differences? I didn't feel like this chapter was actually super specific to the idea of remote work because global teams have never really meshed up in terms of time zones. I mean, we're dealing with all kinds of time zones all over the globe. So, it's kind of outside of the idea of remote work. But that said, I'm a third culture kid. I grew up in Papua New Guinea, and I appreciated Neely's sensitive approach to the impact of language and culture on internal teamwork and relationship building. I think that her chart on page 124 of the hardback book is a great checklist for leaders to help you think about all the things you need to consider as you're creating a balanced level of contribution and engagement across a global team. I think the other thing that in particular resonated with me about this book, and this is very, you know, this week, but I just want to point out that we're recording this just after Russia invaded Ukraine in early 2022. And there's a chapter in this book called, How Do I Prepare My Team for a Global Crisis? <laughs> and it seems especially relevant right now. I like that Sadal calls out that all leadership is global. Crises seem especially relevant right now. And I think as a leader, you have to think globally. But as a CS leader, you might be listening to this and thinking, you know, what the heck do global politics have to do with my customer success team? And here's what I would say. I think if you have a global customer base, it's absolutely relevant. Your customers are dealing with this just as you are. Do you have a global team? If you have a global team, your team is dealing with this along with the rest of the world. Do you have a U.S.-only team, but they might be affected by the global financial impacts of this crisis? Then you need to be thinking about their finances. Or do you have a U.S.-only team who might be emotionally impacted by this crisis? That sounds really fluffy, but it's very real for people. And I think that one of the nice things about going through the global pandemic is that we've all realized that emotions are real and that we all feel things and that, you know, fatigue and emotion are just a part of work along with everything else that employees are feeling. So given those four points, I think nobody exists in a vacuum that is separate from global crises. I thought that chapter eight presented a very realistic and a very practical approach that any CS leader could benefit from as they're considering global crises. I also love that that chapter allowed the author to present several examples of wonderful international news sources. I think sadly the U.S. and other countries around the world are becoming more political and more polarized right now. For business and economics, my two favorite resources are Harvard Business Review and The Economist. They're both very neutral 
and they're both very realistic and they're both very honest about what's going on in their spaces. I think Sidal lists several other resources on page 157 of her book. I think that CS leaders should take advantage of those resources as you're thinking about and preparing your team for global crises. I don't know if you have any more input on that, Russell. Well, I totally agree with what you're talking about in terms of news sources. There is, I'm going to possibly mispronounce this. There's a thing called the media bias chart put out by Ad Fontis Media. Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah. And it's like a spectrum of, you know, does it lean left or right? And then the spectrum between, you know, fact to skewing to just making things up. Yes. Um, and so if you're curious about the source of an article you see, or if you'd just like to flat out seek out sources that are fact-based and neutral, check out that chart. Yeah, I love that chart. My kid actually brought that chart home from high school <laughs> the other day and was like, hey, here's how to think about media. And I thought, oh, that's an excellent resource and very fact-based. And so I think it is good. I actually try to triangulate my news here in the U.S. because it tends to be very biased here. So I usually look at a left-leaning thing, a right-leaning thing, and a centrist thing every time I'm trying to make sure that something that's going on in the world is real. I would definitely recommend that chart that Russell's talking about. So Russell, what were your favorite takeaways from the book? Well, I thought there was a really powerful statement made in the leadership chapter, and it's talking about fault lines. And the context was that Sadal was talking about things that can potentially divide a team and why the same thing could be present in two teams and divide one and not the other. And really what it boiled down to was power contests. And so the sentence was power contests activate otherwise dormant fault lines. And as a leader, you know, especially maybe not an executive leader, you can find yourself in a company where maybe your executive leadership feels fractured and you don't feel powerful to do anything about that. One of the nice actionable pieces of advice in this book was that if you do see those fault lines exist, what you want to do is emphasize the strengths of the different groups, right? So not the differences, not the weaknesses, but the strengths, and then call out how those strengths apply to the higher purpose of the group. And hopefully that's a way that you can drive change even as a middle leader or maybe even as an individual contributor. Yeah, I think that's a great point. So the other thing that really stuck out to me was about mental health. Directly quote from the book here, professional isolation is a cognitive and emotional experience, not a physical position, right? And so this is talking about how there's a lot out there about remote work making people feel isolated, but it's not new to remote work. I have certainly had times where I felt like I was sitting in a cube farm with all my coworkers and feeling isolated. Yeah. And I felt working remotely that I was super connected. Right. And so, you know, more so than physical connectivity, what you want to look for is cognitive and emotional connection, because what that creates is cohesion and cohesion means more productivity. And then finally, in that crisis chapter, there's the case study in that chapter is about Coca-Cola and how they responded to some anti-United States sentiment in the country of Turkey, where people were dumping Coke into the gutter. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I love that story. There's a great example in there about how the leader of a certain team within Coca-Cola realized that she didn't have a diverse enough team and that she actually expanded the team to include 
more different viewpoints and it actually concretely improved the team's performance. I think we talk a lot about how diversity makes for a stronger team, but maybe sometimes we're light on examples. And I was really happy to read that. Yeah. So I, not to go negative here, but let's shift into whether there was anything that we didn't like or we felt was missing. I mean, I, I feel like we owe it to our audience to tell, you know, the real, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly of these books. So I hated the audiobook. And I don't say that lightly because I listen to audiobooks pretty much every day on my walks. And I've listened to a lot of audiobooks and they've been kind of like, they're okay, or they're awesome, or they're not great. This one was boring to listen to, and the narrator clearly did not resonate with the topic. I would save yourself the money and time and just go buy the book if you're going to get this book. You'll get all of the great images and resources. There's a nice chapter in the back, which I think Russell's going to talk about in a minute, called The Action Guide. And all of that is just right there for you if you get the hardcover book. So I would suggest doing that. I think my only other nitpick, and and this is kind of small, is that it's very clear that Sadal is an academic. She works at Harvard Business School. She's not in the field. And while she uses really good examples and stories for each chapter, they aren't very personal. And so you don't sort of get that feeling from her as you read the book that she really understands at a gut level what is going on with this topic. She's been researching it for a long time. She's an expert on the topic, but I don't get that resonance with the content itself. I agree with that. I I thought there were some times that the book, uh, the physical book, which I read, read a little bit dry. And so on that action guide chapter, I think this is a personal opinion because some people I think would like to have that all in one place. I would have rather seen the charts and questionnaires from that guide be folded into the chapters. I agree with you. I feel like that would have made the chapters more actionable. Yeah. And I I would have felt more engaged with the book if they had been incorporated. You know, overall, I thought the content of the book, though, was spot on. If there was one nit I could pick, there is a chapter about how to use an agile manifesto methodology in a remote situation. And Sadal strongly recommends using shared documents as a brainstorming tool and also recommends that a daily stand-up be used as a fulcrum to sort of keep those grounded. And I have a real concern with that because especially in customer success, we're used to talking about disconnected data. And I think just having a free-for-all in a shared spreadsheet is a recipe for just messy data. Yeah, I agree with you. And I'm not sold on a daily stand-up being a good use of time in an indefinite way. Maybe for a short project, okay, but not forever. Yeah, I agree. I think you have to be so careful with meetings in any scenario, in any team. And I think daily meetings can really quickly turn from something that's super productive and helpful to something that's just sort of rote and you're doing it because you've always done it. And I think if you're going to try that, you have to keep a really close eye on it as a manager and make sure it's actually producing value for the long run before you just keep it going forever. So, all right, let's get to the bottom line. Do we think this book is worth the time? What do you think, Russell? I'm going to say yes, I do. And I, Kristen, I think we're going to disagree on this. I think it's okay to buy this book and only read certain chapters. It is modular. I think that there are some things that people may feel don't apply to them, but I do think overall the entire book is worth reading. 
Why do you think that we're going to disagree on that? Oh, because we did last time. Oh, well, actually, I agree with you. I think for leaders, this book is a good read. I don't know that every chapter is for every leader, but, you know, they make it pretty easy to pick and choose what you want to read. So I would say if you're a CS leader, you know, and you have a team that's remote, 100% read this book. For CSMs, I don't think this book is for you. If you are a CSM, though, and you've been running into issues where you're getting hung up on the number of tools or the way that you're using tools, and that's creating a difficult challenge for you in terms of remote work, like you're getting Zoom fatigue or you know, you're running into other issues with the tools you're using, I think you should read just the tools chapter of the book. I don't know that it's worth reading the whole or buying the whole book for the tools chapter, but if that's a big part of what you're running into, it it might be. Um, I think that the author has some good suggestions in there. So anyway, that's what I would suggest. I mean, Russell, do you disagree with that? No, I don't. I, I would actually say that it it is probably more valuable for a CSM than that. I think. Um, oh, really? You know, okay. Yeah, I mean, I I think that a lot of this stuff in a lot of the content in the book is sort of management tactics or leadership tactics, and I think this is one of these topics where it doesn't ruin the tactic if the CSM knows that the tactic is in place. Oh, I I, I guess I never disagree that. I mean, I guess. That's probably not a good way to put it. I don't disagree that CSM should ever not know the tactics the managers are using. <laughs> I think that they always should. But yeah, I just, I I don't know if it's worth their time. It's a lot of reading and it's pretty dry, as you mentioned earlier. It is. So I don't know if I, if I was a CSM, I would probably skip the bulk of the book and just read that chapter on tools. You can disagree with me, though. I would say if you're a CSM and you feel like your organization is having trouble with remote work, read the book, figure out what you may be able to bubble upward. Okay, fair. All right, so let's talk about our next book. So we're going to do a book that I've had sitting on my shelf for a little while. It's one that is the second book in a series by Mark Horstman, who is the longtime podcaster of a, a show called Manager Tools. And he wrote the book, The Effective Manager. It's a favorite of mine. I previously reviewed it on the show. But his new book is called The Effective Hiring Manager. If you've been a longtime listener, you've probably listened to the show on The Effective Manager. I'm so excited to hear what Mark has to say about hiring. I haven't had a chance to read this yet, so I, I can't even start to give you a review on it. But I know that CS leaders are very involved in hiring right now. A lot of people have left the workforce. A lot of people have shifted jobs. Everyone I know in our space is hiring. So if you want to read along, we would recommend starting now. You can find this book on Amazon or anywhere else you get your books. And for this one, I would say there's not a lot of images in this book, but I would say probably get the hard copy of the book rather than the audio book, just because there are tools in the back that I think you could use that would be useful. Right. That'll be a good one to review. I'm excited about it. I enjoy The Effective Manager too. Happy, happy for the sequel. I know. And Mark is such a fun guy to talk to. So I'm excited to have him back on the show for an author interview. 
Reading for Success is a part of Success League Radio, a podcast channel focused on customer success. We encourage you to check out the other shows on our channel. Innovations in Leadership features in-depth interviews with CS leaders, and we have a new show in collaboration with Gainsight called CS Essentials. And this show, Reading for Success, also features author interviews. Uh, We try to interview every author uh, of every book that we review. And over the coming year, we'll plan to introduce other new shows that provide helpful ideas and content to customer success professionals and leaders. If you like Reading for Success, I'd like to ask you for a favor. Share our show on social media. Help us get the word out to the CS community. You know, if you want to see more content like this, we want to continue to produce great content. And to do that, we need the support of our amazing customer success colleagues. With that, I'll say goodbye for now. Goodbye, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join Reading for Success next time.